From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. Let's jump right into this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It's where we've been reading through or studying through the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, regarding your question about money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem. I know none of you have any questions about money. Now, regarding your question about money, let me say that again, about money, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches of Galatia, which was across the Aegean Sea from what is now modern-day Turkey was the province of Galatia, and now we're talking about Corinthians, which is in modern-day Greece. So those of you that know any geography, you kind of get it. Those of you that don't, it's in Europe. So... And on the first day of the week, you should put aside a portion of the money you've earned. Don't wait until I get there. Don't wait until December 31st. Then I will try and try to collect it all at once. When I come, I'll write letters of recommendation for the messengers you choose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate to go, for me to go along, they can travel with me. The issue of giving is always one of those things. James says the last thing we surrender is our tongue. I believe one of the last things we also surrender is our money, right? The Bible college president where I went in Dallas, Texas, Dallas, Texas, said, my wife's from Houston, but anyway, Dallas, Texas, um, said that your checkbook is your autobiography. Now it'd probably be your debit card is your autobiography. It also teaches us remembrance. Who's in control of our resources? Deuteronomy says the tithe teaches us the fear of God. Not that God's going to get me, but that God's always with me. It teaches who my source is. As you know, 1 Corinthians was a book written as questions to be answered throughout this book. And what they're asking, obviously, is, Paul, what about that offering we're supposed to take for the mother church in Jerusalem? So the first question, the answer is this, for whom and why? Who do we take collections for and why? If you know the book of Acts, you know that in the time of the mother church was, had suffered persecution, and now they are in Antioch, and Antioch becomes basically the sending church, where all the missionaries go out of, and it's also the place that the people that were known as the way were first called Christians, okay? It was a derogatory term, but they were first called Christians in Antioch, and during this time, some prophets in Acts eleven twenty seven, some prophets traveled to Jerusalem from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them was named. I know you, you named your firstborn this Agabus. Stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. I thank God for the prophetic gift in the church even today. And this prophet warned there's going to be a famine, and the writer Doctor Luke, who wrote the book of Acts and the the Gospel of Luke, says that this took place in the, the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send some relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could, same principle, and they did this entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul. So the, the why or the whom was to those in famine. There's nothing wrong with knowing who you're sowing into. Matter of fact, we need good ground to reap a harvest, right? 
And so the need was the famine. The need was for the mother church. And I think it's so interesting that in Acts 4, when Barnabas, if you understand Acts 4, gave this portion of land to the church in Jerusalem, it says right after that, they had no poor among them. And now they are dirt poor. My point is this. Be careful with your money. (laughs) Or understand that in a moment you can have a lot and in a moment you can lose it all. The mother church didn't have any poor. Then persecution and famine came. And guess what happens? By the way, do a study on famine sometime in Scripture. It's amazing how many times God uses famine to get his people's attention. The gospel always elevates those in society. Always. Matter of fact, what happens when you see the gospel invade an area, it does two things. Throughout world history, when the gospel shows up, it elevates the position of children and women. Always. Oh, and this is not because of the Me Too movement. I'm not saying that because of that. I'm saying that because it's a fact. That where the gospel is, children are taught and respected and loved, and women are always put in a place of honor. How many are glad for your mama? Yeah, you wouldn't be here without your mama. Just thought I'd let you know that. The Old Testament, the, the prophets rebuked Israel more for their treatment of aliens, we won't get on that one, orphans and widows than for idolatry. It's amazing to me. Galatians chapter 6 says, Therefore, when we have opportunity, do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. The disenfranchised. So the whom is the church of Jerusalem, which they should have respect because that started it all. And the why was because they were suffering incredible famine. The second answer is, what's the appropriate amount? And Paul says, give according to your ability. Isn't that amazing? And it's the same for everybody, right? Every one of us has the ability to have some type of job or make some money somehow. That's what he's saying. And therefore, take a portion of what you've been given through your employment and give that away. So you can't say, well, they, they have a different set of rules. He's saying it's the same thing I shared in Galatia. It's the same thing that, that, that they did in the church in Antioch. And so everyone can give at every age. My grandmother used to give me a $10 or a, a dollar bill. This is in the 60s. A dollar bill and say, now remember, Gary, 10 cents belongs to Jesus. One of the first things I remember as a kid is every, I mean every Friday night, my mother sitting at the kitchen table writing a check to the church because my dad got paid every Friday. The other thing I remember her doing is reading her Bible almost every day. And so it taught Karen and I all of our lives have given, all of our lives. Does that mean we've always had a lot of money? No, but we've always been taken care of. It's such a faith builder. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 is those two chapters are devoted to giving. And Paul says this in the second letter. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. How many have ever heard that phrase? But really what it means is that God loves a man or a woman whose heart is in their gift. One of the newer translations says, God loves a hilarious giver. Now, I know none of you. It's just my wife and I have done this. We have given sometimes like, oh, man, we've got to give. Right? 
How many know that's not a hilarious giver? I don't want it contrived or something that we try to build up, but the fact is God wants us to give, church. The third thing is how often do I give? Paul answers, set aside. You give when it's been given to you. You don't give, you don't wait, because how many, anybody besides Karen and I ever wait? How many know when you wait to give that it's not there to give? Anybody? But if we give first, if, because Sunday, the first day of the week was the church when the church met, and so he says, set it aside on a weekly basis, or if you get paid twice a month, set it aside twice a month. If you get paid once a month, set it aside once a month. But I, I have this principle. I give first. I love texting to give. Eight, four, three, two, one, boom, it's done. It's like it's taken out of my bank before I even hit sand. And if you, I've had people say, that's not, that's, how secure is it? And I say, well, you shop at Target. <laughs> right? You shop at Target. It's so easy. We've made it so simple for you that I am, not because, you know, I don't know who gives what. I don't, I haven't even seen a budget of this place. I just know that I've been hired. Isn't that incredibly stupid of me? No. The fact is, I don't care, because God will take care of his church. But Paul says, I don't seek the gift in in Philippians chapter 4. I don't seek the gift. I seek the profit you're going to gain by giving. I want to challenge you, give God first, give God something, and watch it work. Amen? Okay, the issue of the first fruits, systematic, calculated giving. If you don't, you won't is the principle. It's the idea of a habit. It's the idea of discipline. It's the idea of start something somewhere now. Some final thoughts very quickly. And I believe prophetically. When I was asked to teach this section instantly, this came to me before I even looked at the text. I believe Malachi chapter 3, everybody that knows Jesus for very long goes, oh man, I don't like that passage. Because all we heard about is you get cursed if you don't give. You get cursed if you don't give. That's not what I want to focus on. Bring all the tithes into the storehouses so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do so, the Lord of hosts will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try me. Put me to the test. It's the one time God says in Scripture, put him to the test. Anybody besides me ever put God to the test in giving? God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give faithfully. I'm going to give to you and watch this work. That's what Paul's saying. Do something, watch God work. And so this desire of what I believe, there's a prophetic sense that God wants to release reciprocal faith upon vintage, where we are people that give not to get, but we see the process happen. And what's it do? It challenges us to give more, he gives more. We give more, he gives more. It's just something in Scripture, throughout Scripture. I was raised in farm country. We planted one little kernel of corn in a bunch of rows, but one little kernel would raise up, and there would be ears of corn on that. How many like sweet corn? And there'd be ears of corn, and each kernel on that corn, that ear of corn would be from one little kernel. That's the principle. Give and watch it be given back to you. It's reciprocal faith. The second thing out of the Amplified Bible is give and it shall be given. Here it is again. Not my words, Jesus is speaking. Given it shall be given. They will pour into your lap 
a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over with no space in between. It's the idea of putting memento or mentos in Coke. And I was going to use, if, we, if I was doing a children's sermon, I would. And you shake it up, drop those suckers in there, and then shake it up, and watch what happens. That's the idea. Press down, shaken together. It's Ruth going to Boaz, and Boaz says, put your apron out, and she puts her apron out, and there's so much, the grain is overflowing. It's the idea that every space is taken, pressed down. My dad used to tell me, this is again in the 70s when I started driving, he says, you got to burp the car, son, you got to burp the car, and he'd shake the car to get all the bubbles out so you could get more gas in there, especially when it was like 35 cents a gallon. Press down, the thing that God wants to do is release unbridled generosity. Or you see a need and fill it. And the last thing, he has shown the O man or woman what is good, what does the Lord require to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly. The third thing that I believe is God wants to release a spirit of justice covered, lathered in mercy. God says he delights not in judgment, but he delights in mercy. But I believe as a church, one of the next things God's going to do is release social justice concerns in a greater sense on us. I know we're doing it already, but in an even greater sense, where people are going to be raised up and give of their time, give of their efforts, give of their money to things that bring justice to people, but covered in mercy. You know what mercy is? Grace is this, getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Justice alone can be judgmental, but you cover it with mercy and it becomes the hand of God. What is God calling you to raise up? People come to the pastor, say, Pastor, we need this in the church, we need that in the church. You know why we need that in the church? Because you're in the church. And God has laid it on your heart, and maybe He's calling you to do it. Amen? Awesome. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Your Word. Thanks for what You're doing in vintage. God, I pray for a spirit of unbridled generosity to come upon us. That, God, You release us to be people that are hilarious in our giving. God, the second thing I ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, that there will be a reciprocal faith. That, God, as we see you being faithful, we'll give more. And as you give more, we'll be faithful in giving more, God. It's just reciprocal faith. And then, God, these, this justice with mercy, God, poured out upon us where we can alleviate the suffering that is caused by sin and we can reach out and touch people with the mercy of Jesus. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, Vintage. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at VintageCityChurch.com.